0: Our reading is from Micah, chapter six, verses one to eight, and then seven, verses 18 to 20. Hear what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains and let the hills hear your voice. Hear you mountains, the indictment of the Lord and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment against his people and he will contend with Israel. O oh, my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me, for I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O oh, my people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, devised, and what Balaam, the son of Baor, answered him, and what happened from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000s of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham, as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. The word of the Lord.
1: I'll answer the question later. That's right here for now. Okay, so before we pray, I just want to ask you to do me one favor. And that is, uh, listen to the whole sermon. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. A word that comes to us from the prophets, Lord, that is a rebuke to the people of Judah and yet is meant for us to encourage us in times like this today, here, in this country. Father, we thank you that you speak with words that are helpful to us, even though they are at times very difficult for us to hear. And we pray that you would encourage us, that you would open our ears and eyes and hearts and minds to receive this word as we also receive the grace that is laid out before us in Christ Jesus, in whose name we pray, Amen. Okay, so two weeks ago on Sunday, uh, I was extraordinarily excited, as many of you were. I saw one guy here earlier, a young man, wearing a white Sox uh, sweatshirt, and I just asked him if they were giving those away at Goodwill or not. And he said no, he paid money for that. But most of us in this room, we're, we're good Cub fans, and we're very excited about the Cubs World Series victory. It brought five million people together. In downtown Chicago, one of the seven largest gatherings of people in history. And I was reminded last night by somebody, and it's the third largest that wasn't a worship event. And I said immediately, What do you mean it wasn't a worship event? <laughs> like, I, <laughs> I don't, I think I disagree with that. Five million people together, all with something in common, all excited and all happy. And then we had the election. And so here's the difficult part of this election. We have spent the last week with kind of intense reaction and judgment. That's, that's what Jeff said, and he's absolutely right about that. So I know that some of you this morning are thinking to yourselves, winner, winner, chicken dinner. Everything's awesome. Finally, we got a guy. We're going to get changed. We're going to sweep that crazy stuff out of there. We didn't want an establishment party candidate, and man, we got one. Thankfully, I couldn't possibly be more excited. Some of you don't feel that way. Some of you are very disappointed. Some of you are worried. Some of you are scared. Some of you know people who are worried and scared. As you drill down into the data for the election, one of the things that we know is true is that 51% of the people in this country did not vote. So we elected a person to office with like 24, 25% of the vote. Think about that. The person leading this country received less than a third, a quarter of the people in this country want the person who we have. Now, shame on the people who didn't vote. That's their deal. But this is, this is our reality. If you drill down even further into the numbers, one of the things that you know, because you've heard this over and over again this week, <clears throat> of evangelicals, and I'm even going to put some brackets around this. This is why I said I want you to listen to the whole sermon, okay? 81% of evangelicals, mainly white evangelicals, voted for the person that we have. Now, that should be troubling to us as evangelicals. So I understand that we're not voting for the pope. We're not voting for pastor or elder. That's not what we did. We voted for a president. So I I understand that there's a distinction there. But as evangelicals, if we want to use that term the way we mean it, which means gospel proclaimers and not the way the television means it, but that's just the way it is. We just have to agree that the word evangelical now is a political thing. Eighty-one percent of largely white evangelicals voted for the person that we have even though he displays very little of the biblical character that we would want to see in a person. I don't need to go through the litany of things that we all saw on TV that actually happened, that were actually said. So I understand, again, what, we were, what some of us were trying to do when, when, when that vote happened. We were tired of the establishment. But to do that, we had to get ourselves to a place where people said, I'm willing to vote for this. And that should disturb us. If we call ourselves evangelicals, we should be disturbed by the fact that that's the choice we had. But the other choice wasn't any better, was it? The other choice was a person who advocated on television the execution of children Up to two hours before the baby was born. Asked a direct question, that was the answer that was given. Yep, as long as, right before the baby's born, I have no problem with it. That's disgusting. That's a problem. That's a big deal. The other candidate was on record as saying, I really want to completely redefine God-given gender and make it mean whatever we want to make it mean. That's a real problem. These were our choices. It was not fun. Most people here are not happy with what had to happen. But this is, this is the world that we live in. It's tough. So here's, this is kind of the reality. That as evangelicals, I think we kind of face two issues right now. The first issue is we kind of have almost like a PR problem a little bit, don't we? And I think we can all agree that evangelicals have a PR problem in this country. The first one, I would say, is that we often confuse a righteous nation with being a righteous people. Right? We're called to be a righteous people, not really a righteous nation. And so we tend to prioritize sometimes the wrong thing as evangelicals. The other thing I think that we get ourselves in trouble with is that we often look at our lives and say, we look at the kind of the comfort and prosperity of our own lives and we confuse that with believing that we're being blessed by God. And it's at exactly those moments where the prophets show up. So this is a message that comes to us from the prophets. And so like all messages that come to us from the prophet, it's supposed to sting a little bit. The prophets don't show up and say, you guys are awesome. Everything's great. I bring great news and happiness for everybody. They smack you around a little bit, and then they offer you some grace. But the message of the prophets, the people didn't enjoy hearing it, and, and the people who were hearing this are people from the southern kingdom. Okay, so the, the way that this has worked is, you know, God made promises and covenants to rescue a people, to bring them out of, of the land of slavery, out of Egypt, to take them into the promised land. They take the promised land, the king's established rule. And so now we find ourselves in this place where, as you look out, it looks as though what's happened is you have God's people in God's place under God's rule. And the prophets show up and they say, problem everybody. And so at the time that Micah writes his letter, his his communication, there's a number of prophets that that are communicating. You have Hosea going to the north and he says all kinds of crazy stuff and imagery to the northern kingdom saying, you're going to get wiped out. And the northern kingdom doesn't get the same benefit the southern kingdom does. When the northern kingdom gets wiped out, it's gone forever. They never come back. They're completely assimilated and we never see them again. But Hosea is prophesying at the same time as Isaiah... And Amos and Micah. Amos gets the good job. He gets to go back and forth between the north and the south. Give them both bad news. How fun was that guy's job? Isaiah and Micah are both going back and forth. Telling the king, I know when you look out it seems like things are going well. But the Lord is upset with you. The Lord is upset with you because you've not done what the Lord asked asked you, and told you to do. You're sitting here as God's people thinking that the only thing that you have to do is experience the transforming presence of God. And the prophets say, yeah, that's not enough. Not only are you supposed to experience it, you're supposed to extend it. And it's always been that way. It's always been the way it was, and that's the message that the prophets have. So when the prophets come, they want something. What they want is for the people to listen to what they're saying, to assess themselves, repent, and change. That's the message of the prophets. It's, it's fun to assess a candidate, right? We can assess the candidates and throw whatever we want at them. That's easy to do. It's harder to assess ourselves and say, do I need correction? That's tougher, and that's what we're doing this morning. And that's the part that's going to sting a little bit. But there's grace at the end of this, I promise you. Because the prophets offer grace. So I want you to listen to the whole thing. So the message that Moses had. So as Moses is, is standing, remember he doesn't get to go into the promised land, but as, as he's getting, ready to, getting the people ready to go into the promised land, he says this to them in Deuteronomy 10. Love the sojourner, therefore for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. This is the way that the people were supposed to treat the other people that they came in contact with. This was always the way it was supposed to be. To love the the sojourner, the person that came in contact with them. And Amos walks in. Imagine Amos showing up in the middle of a worship service. And he says this. You're like, oh look, a prophet of the Lord, a special guest today. What do you have to say? Amos says, I hate, I despise your festivals. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the offerings of your well-being, of your fatted animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the melody of your harps, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. What Amos says is stop with the worship service, start showing justice and mercy. That's what I want. Isaiah, Isaiah 117, so early on, Isaiah, you say, oh, I wonder what the message of Isaiah is. Here's what it is. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. In Isaiah 58, it says, is this the fast I choose? Is this not the fast I choose? To undo the thongs of the yoke and to let the oppressed go free. And then Micah says, Hear what the Lord says, arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear you, mountains, the indictment of the Lord. The way Micah presents this is as a lawsuit based on the terms of the covenant. Micah shows up and says, okay, so you remember the covenant, you remember the terms of the covenant, you people are on trial, and I'm going to give you evidence that you violated. I have an indictment against you. And let me just give you a hint. When the Lord is the prosecuting attorney, you're pretty much doomed. <laughs> there's no, there's no like legal wiggle room you're going to get out of. When the Lord presents an indictment, it's pretty airtight. And that's what he has to say here. I have an indictment against you. Enduring foundations of the earth, for the Lord has an indictment against his people. So now you should be concerned. What, what is this indictment? This is what you were supposed to do. You were supposed to seek justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. See, what got the people sent into exile was not that they, I mean, part of it was they were not worshiping well, they were worshiping inappropriately. But the other thing that gets them in trouble is they weren't loving their neighbors the way they were supposed to be, they weren't seeking justice. They weren't loving mercy. They weren't walking humbly with the Lord, and that's his message, that we should long to seek justice, that as Christians we should long to seek justice. What does that mean? What does it mean to seek justice? Well, here's one of the things we know right away, is that the Lord prefers justice over a good worship service. That's what he says, that he prefers justice over a good worship service that it's active, that it's a thing that we're supposed to do, to not just think about it and to contemplate justice and try to figure out what justice means, but we're actually supposed to seek it and do it. When the Lord says, be holy as I am holy, He means this. If you want to be holy as I am holy, then seek justice. That it's the mission of God. This has been the whole sermon series. What is the mission of God? The mission of God for God's people is that we seek justice for the people who need it. And the fun part is, whenever the Bible wants to make a case and wants to show you how well is justice happening, he always starts with the poor. That's where the the, the focus always comes, is let's look at the poor. Let's find out if the poor are getting justice. Why is that? because the rich and the wealthy have ways of getting justice. They're in places of privilege. It's not a bad thing. I'm not saying, oh, you're in trouble for being wealthy. It's that wealthy people have the means of getting justice that the poor don't have. And so when the Lord wants to put a focus on, let's see if justice is happening, He says, let's look at the poor. There's this example in Micah 6 where the the prophet is very upset on behalf of the Lord, and he says, listen, in the marketplace, you're using bad scales. You have bags of weight that aren't what they're supposed to be, and when people come to exchange their goods and services, they're getting ripped off. They don't know they're getting ripped off. They're getting secretly ripped off because you're gaming the system against them. They think they're getting a fair deal, but they're not getting a fair deal. There's no justice there, and Micah's very upset about it. It's one of the examples it's given about why they're in trouble. And so as we look around in our society, we might say to ourselves, are there people in our society who basically the scales are against them? Who maybe want a fair shake, but they just can't get the fair shake. The system's kind of gamed against them. And of course the answer is yes, there for sure there are those people. So here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that the job of the Christian is to guarantee an equality of outcome. Right? That's called social liberalism. That's where we say everybody's outcome has to be the same. That's not what the Lord is asking here. What the Lord is making wants to happen is that Christ, the, the people of God would actually work to ensure the equality of opportunity, that everyone has the same opportunity to succeed. Not that everybody's guaranteed to succeed. Look, some people create Myspace, and some people create Facebook. Right? Some people create VHS tapes. Some people create beta. It's the equality of opportunity, not the equality of outcome. That's what the Lord's people are supposed to work for. We're supposed to say, how can I work for the justice for people? Now, some of us can say to ourselves, and some of us do, we're dismissive of this. We say, yeah, well, they got themselves into their own trouble, whatever. We cannot begin to seek justice until we stop being dismissive about what other people are saying that they're dealing with until we honestly listen to what they say the injustices that are happening to them are. When they come to us, when we as Christians, we should be the best listeners. Listening. It's what God says, I hear the cry of my people calling out for justice, that we as people in this room, the thing that we should be most concerned is, are we listening to the cries of people who are asking for justice? To actually listen to them. When somebody says, do black lives matter? And we respond, well, all lives matter. You didn't understand the question. There's a real question that's being asked there. It's a tough question and we have to wrestle with it. We have to work for it. I read online this week a friend of mine from Iowa City, very progressive, very liberal, very open and affirming town probably voted 99% of the people there probably voted for Clinton. Okay, So one of, the pe- one of my neighbors posted that uh, their daughter was in, in school and, a, and a, somebody walked up to a Muslim and knocked their head covering off and said, you know, why don't you get that rag off your head? And so there were a bunch of posts about, oh, that's horrible, oh, that's a bad thing. And then here's the great thing. A Christian person that I know was like the 12th commenter and said did your child do anything about it? They saw it. Did they intervene? And I thought, that's the right question. So, so kids, listen up. In your schools, you have an opportunity to seek justice for people. When you see somebody being bullied in your school because of the way they dress, because of any number of things, right? Their name could rhyme with something that's silly, and so they get bullied. I mean, people have no shame in bullying. But you kids in this room have an opportunity to seek justice, to stand up for people and say, that is not the way that somebody created in the image of God should be treated. And as a Christian person in this school, I will not allow it to happen. You're going to have to go through them, go through me to get to them. That's what I'm here to do. I'm here to be the arbiter of justice in my school. You can do that. You can do that tomorrow. Think about the placement that you have to be able to do that. But not just to seek justice. that's, That's a tough call, right? To seek justice for people. But to love mercy. It's what it says, to love mercy. Christians should long to show mercy. This word in, in Hebrew is this word hased, which is really kind of tied to God and who he is. It's like the, the essence of his being is a God who loves to show kindness and mercy. So several weeks ago when I was, well, maybe a few months ago when I was here, I pulled out of my pocket a little pink spoon. And it's this little pink spoon from Baskin-Robbins where you get the little sample right? And I encourage you all to to be people who hand out, you know, these little foretastes of the kingdom, these little foretastes of what it's like to be, to have life in the kingdom. I want you to forget that. (laughs) I want you to offer shovels full, shovels full of love and mercy. Not just little tiny spoons, little tiny foretastes, but imagine walking around in your job, Or in your school, imagining that your job is to take shovelfuls of love and mercy and to show it to the person next to you. So it's easy to show love, well, not always, but it's supposed to be easy to show love and mercy to our family members. Right? Or to our friends, people in this church. But guess what it says in Leviticus? You remember Leviticus? It's that book with all those rules, about ceremony and sacrifice. And it's got this one great verse in it. Supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. That's what worship is supposed to be. That we love our neighbors as ourselves, And so, of course, you know the whole biblical story. Well, who's my neighbor? The person I like next door. Is that my neighbor? Yep, that's your neighbor. How about the person I like on this side of me? Yes, that person's your neighbor too. How about crazy Saul, the crazy person across the street who just harasses everybody? Is that my neighbor? Yep, that's your neighbor too. Wait, I'm supposed to show love and mercy to that person? Yeah, you sure are. This is, this is who we're supposed to. And we do it as a church. We heard about it this morning. We, we're showing love and mercy through world relief. There's a box outside of things that we're giving to people who are being resettled here. Who much of their lives haven't experienced love and mercy, let alone love and mercy from, the, from, the, from Christians. And so we have this wonderful opportunity to show love and kindness and mercy to strangers. How wonderful is that, to show love and mercy? We're showing love and mercy in Haiti. I read this morning, and maybe I think that Anne sent out, a thousand people have been treated by the medical team. That's amazing. It's awesome that that's what we're doing. We're showing love and mercy. And so we're called to seek justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. Now, how do we get to that? How do we get to the part where we walk humbly with our God? This is where Micah starts. He says, "'For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery, and I sent before you Moses and Aaron and Miriam.' Oh, my people, remember what Balak, the king of Moab, devised, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him. This is Numbers 22 through 24. You can look it up. God was really gracious in the middle of this. Or What happened at Shittim, where the people broke the covenant? Or at Gilgal, where God reinstituted the covenant? So this whole thing is, is Micah saying, don't you remember how God was gracious and merciful to you the whole time? I want you to think, people of God, he says. God has been gracious and merciful to you, and when you contemplate the graciousness and mercy that God has shown to you, you should do nothing else but show grace and mercy to everybody else, and he drives it home in Micah 7. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us and tread our iniquities underfoot and will cast all of our sins into the depth of of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers in days of old. And that sounds a lot like the call to worship we read this morning because it's supposed to sound. The people of God heard this and went, wait, ah, that sounds familiar. That sounds like what God said to Moses when he walked by him. And he said, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions of sin. The God that loves us is a God of Hesed, who loves to show us grace and mercy, and we live downstream of that. See, here's what we have to understand. We don't have God doesn't love us because he's in a covenant with us. We have a covenant with God because he loves us. That the covenant is generated by the love, and we live downstream of that. We see that the justice that God demands, that the justice that God needs to make sure happens for us, happens in Christ. He says, you are an unjust people. And then he offers up his own son for our transgressions. And when we look at that, we have no other response than to say, wait a second. I have been shown grace and mercy in an unbelievable portion, shovels full on my life through Christ, which I don't merit at all. I can have no other posture than to show love and mercy and to seek justice for people because of what's been done for me. It changes my entire attitude and relationship of the way that I walk with God. I don't walk with Him as somebody who's entitled and privileged and I'm owed something. I walk with Him as somebody who's received mercy. And so when I'm interacting with people in my daily life, I don't come up to them and feel like I'm privileged, I'm important. No, I'm blessed. I've received grace and mercy and the loving kindness of God. And so I will offer you shovels full of it. It will define my life. And then I'll go and worship God on Sunday morning and I will invite you to join me. There will be no president that we will ever elect as a nation. Ever. That we should be completely comfortable with. They will always fall short of what righteous rule in the kingdom looks like. That's reality. And until then, we as God's people, primary responsibility is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, to love our neighbor as ourselves, to seek justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for this good word this morning. A tough word, but a word that contains grace and mercy. Father, we thank you for a covenant that comes to us out of love, that is displayed in the fullness of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. In your uh, bulletins, we have a confession of sin. It is based on this passage. We'll read it together. You follow along with the bold. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Father, forgive us for the times when we have sought to benefit from injustice, sought to deny justice to those who needed it, or just decided that we really care that much about justice unless we needed it. He has told you, O oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Father, forgive us for not showing kindness to our spouse, our children, our parents, our teachers, our co-workers, the cashier, the waiter, and all who you consider our neighbor. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Father, forgive us for thinking and living as though you are indebted to us. We have sought to make you our servant and have lived as though our religion entitles us to your favor. Lord, in your mercy, have mercy on us all. Hear the good news, the good news of the promised gospel. Through the work of Christ on the cross and guaranteed by His resurrection, our Father has had compassion on us and has tread our iniquities underfoot, and He has cast all of our sins into the depth of the sea. Through the work of Christ, God has justice, and I have received mercy. Thanks be to God.